All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, super producer Brandon Newman. No uh, with us today. I guess not Not would be the right term. Not no. Uh, my father, Mike Golick Sr., is on load management today. So it is uh, just me and Brandon out here kicking it. Like uh, back in the old days, Brandon. How you doing, man? Top of the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning. Uh, how you doing out there in La La Land? Uh, so far, so good, man. We got a great show for everybody today. As always, uh, they should download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us that five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel and on Samsung TV Plus and the DraftKingsNetwork.com live 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. Nikias Duncan from Dunker Spot Podcast is going to join us today and help us get ready for game three of the NBA Finals. He is one of the few people that inhabits my timeline, Brandon, that's like an X's and O's basketball guy. Obviously, what I have curated as far as my timeline, my internet presence is a lot more football people, so I see a lot more football X's and O's people, people out there diving in, breaking down the game the way that we've seen Dan Orlovsky and others make very public on big TV shows. I don't feel like we see as much of that in basketball. You've got Tim Legler's, J.J. Reddick's of the world that really get into the nitty-gritty of the game, but Nikias and what they're doing on his podcast, they do seem to do it at even that next level. So very excited to kind of hear from him and see how he sees this series, what he's seen as far as Eric Spolstra's frustration with how it's been covered and all that stuff. Uh, we also have to get to uh, the NBA news off the court yesterday that I'm sure is going to tick off a lot of the basketball people that do just want to focus on the finals. But Brandon, before we get to that, we have to get to, I think, the video and the sound that will dominate today pretty much on every platform because last night we had Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final. 
The Vegas Golden Knights appear ready to just try and bash heads in. They beat Florida 7-2 to in that game, in a game where Sergei Bobrovsky got pulled because it was such a thorough butt-whooping. But that was not the story of the night here. While I'm sure our friends over at the Levitard show I saw on the local hour that is before us, and then their show which airs after us on DraftKings Network. A lot of sad faces, a very ticked-off Roy Bellamy as they're dealing with and stomaching the idea that maybe they will lose two championships in in South Florida, this one is different. So we have got sound of post-game, a reporter from CBS4 in Miami set up in the rafters inside the arena after the Golden Knights win over the Florida Panthers. And take a look and listen and how this hit goes for her. A very loud crowd here at T-Mobile Arena. Obviously, Vegas fans enjoying the lesson I did Samantha Rivera from CBS4 in Miami just executed a no-look stiff arm on a drunk Vegas Golden Knights fan trying to invade her stand-up shot. And listen, for anyone that doesn't have a background in news, I don't know if she had a camera person there or not. There's a lot of local news stations that, to save money, will send these reporters out there by themselves to go and set up the shot, do all this on their own. And so, first and foremost, Brandon, PSA out there to anyone – It's not your shot. It's not your workplace. Don't jump in and make life harder for somebody else here and be a jerk. Second off, though, that being said, what she did in that process, we always talk about this relative to Black Friday videos when you see a Best Buy employee box somebody out or keep somebody from getting in or getting out of a store with stolen items here. Brandon, this is going to be on the teach tape for every high school, college, NFL football coach that wants to implement stiff arms into practice from now until the end of time. Oh, absolutely. And she was so professional while doing it as well. She went straight to the highlights just in case this fan wasn't just the stiff arm away and, and be, was insistent in getting in her shot. It was just a very professional way to handle the situation. And she uh, could have a two-day contract with any hockey team at this point. With any sports team in general, man. I don't know. Shout out shout out to Samantha. We're going to have to reach out and see if we can get her on the show to recount this because it was electric and... I don't know, just the poise in that moment to not once break eye contact with the camera as she knows what she has got to get to, she knows when she's got to get to it, deadline-driven, focused. CBS 4 in Miami better give her a raise because that is outside, that is above and beyond the call of duty for what she's normally got to execute. So shout out to Samantha for pulling that one off. Brandon, while she was busy stiff-arming drunk Golden Knights fans, which, by the way, it feels like every Golden Knights fan that's not in a jersey is dressed up like Elvis. Like, that's the one thing because the game was such a wash. I think it was 4 nothing before we even got to Panthers goals. They just did a lot of panning around to the crowd. Everybody's dressed as Elvis. Men, women, children, people of all ages dressed as Elvis in that crowd. I'm not sure if that's just... Now, I've been to Vegas enough to know... There's a fair amount of, obviously, Elvis impersonators, but just in general, I don't know if that's a Vegas Golden Knights fan thing where you just come to the arena dressed up as Elvis, but that was something that, because of the way that that game went and how quickly it went sideways for the Florida Panthers, I was able to kind of surmise. Well, you could probably say that Elvis Presley is like the mascot for Vegas, uh, which brings me to that NBA franchise conversation uh, when they expand. Maybe the Vegas Kangs 
with the Elvis uh, impersonator as the main mascot may be the right way to go. I would love the idea of the NBA having the Sacramento Kings and then the Vegas Kangs, and the only difference being an A and a Z in the way that it's spelled. Get to work on that, Adam Silver. Make it happen. Brandon, speaking of people that may be the architect of the Vegas Kangs, LeBron James was in the news again yesterday, and I do appreciate that none of us followed Kyrie Irving's advice. The last time we saw Kyrie Irving, this was Kyrie Irving talking around his dinner table, going online, asking us to not talk about him online. Um, my last thing that I'm going to say after I say I love you, stop mentioning me on Twitters. All y'all fan bases, stop mentioning me right now, please. It is still the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. Can y'all please leave me out of this? Please, can I just be with my family in peace? Y'all got people at my dinner table discussing what my free agency plans are. <laughs> stop that. Y'all think it's funny, but please stop that. I, like, I actually like having peace of mind when I'm at the crib, right? Like, I, I see all y'all ads. I, I see all y'all mentions. Okay, I said it. I see all y'all stuff y'all be saying. I see all y'all memories. I get it. I get it. I'm just as excited as y'all are. But you gotta chill, though. I realize now, with the benefit of hindsight, that Kyrie essentially did what Adam Silver did with the John Morant suspension, right? He's like, I'm excited about this too. We're going to get to it, but don't talk about it right now because I got stuff going on. I also want to know, Brandon, who he's inviting over to dinner that isn't aware of his plans. Like, I'd imagine Kyrie seems like a pretty private person, and so if your family and friends are sitting around there and they're even curious, that might be more a you thing, Kyrie, than an us thing. Yeah, but he's got kids that have friends that are on the internet. I'm sure the internet is banned in Kyrie Irving's home to make sure your third <laughs> eye stays as open as possible. But uh, I'm sure like his his children at the, at the age where they're asking, they're like, Dad, I, my friend said that you were going to go play with LeBron and the Lakers. Like, is that true? Are we going to move to L.A.? Are we moving to L.A., Dad? You know, I think it's probably stuff like that but in, in Kyrie Irving, who is great at a tease, a tease that never comes, though. I feel like Kyrie does a lot of teasing, and you never get the answer on the other side. So I think that's what you're hoping at this point, because after what we got from Shams yesterday, the report that apparently the reunion between LeBron James and Kyrie Irving may not come in Los Angeles, but maybe in Dallas. Now, uh, I believe it was Shams reported that Kyrie Irving had reached out to LeBron James to inquire if LeBron James would potentially come and play with the Mavs instead of Kyrie going to Los Angeles. I, I, Brandon, I don't know how much credence you gave this because just the way it was all even phrased, it sounded more exploratory than anything immediate. Obviously, LeBron is still under contract right now. He signed that two-year extension with the Lakers that kicks in this summer. And so there's all the actual basketball and finance reasons why this may or may not happen, right? It would have to be in a trade or a sign-in trade potentially coming up here. What capital would they get in return? What would the Mavs have that the Lakers would even want? The answer is probably not much that's realistic, but we know this is the NBA and stars can make a fair amount of things happen. And LeBron James has talked glowingly about Luka Doncic. We've even talked, I think it was to Tom Haberstraw on this podcast, who him and Amin El Hassan over at Basketball Illuminati kind of hinted at this back in February that the idea that LeBron James may want to play with Luka Doncic at some point isn't that far-fetched. Brandon, I just think all of this is 
way too far down the road just because of the Bronny factor. So much of LeBron's late-stage career goals and conversations have been about playing with his son, being around for his son, the move to Los Angeles, and now that you've got Bronny committed to play at USC in LeBron's backyard while he's still a part of the Lakers, I just look at that situation and stay family-wise, which for so many of these guys ends up making the decision much more so than anything else. You know this, the closer you get to sports, the more we see guys' decisions in free agency, guys' decisions to retire can often be much more tied to their family life and what they've got going on at home. For LeBron James, who has centered so much to the point where there have been people that have questioned his desire to win a championship because so much of his public conversation has been about playing with his son, I struggle to think that here and now he would get ready to follow Kyrie Irving somewhere at the expense of being around to watch his son hoop in college. Hey dad, what do you do when you're out with friends, the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help? Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. And Brandon, I want to get to your takes on this Kyrie Irving and LeBron James potential situation. But since we're doing a live show now, stuff happens and we get to react to it on the fly, which is awesome and something I've dearly missed. And this one completely out of left field as we just saw an announcement that the PGA Tour has agreed to merge with rival Live Golf, the Saudi-backed public investment fund golf company, an entity controlled by the Saudi crown prince. The proposed merger comes after the PGA Tour and Live have been embroiled in lawsuits regarding antitrust claims, and the deal would end all pending litigation. Brandon, we don't have a lot of concrete details about the specifics of this right now, including what this would mean for the contracts of the Live golfers that were richly signed by a lot of guys who made that jump over there if this would be combining live golf tour events and some of their format with current PGA formatted events, now opening these live golfers, I'd assume, back up to PGA tour events as well. So Brandon, we have a lot more questions and answers at this point. We're reaching out to some people to try and see if we could find out anything else. But just in general, if you're a live golfer right now and your contract remains intact, this may be one of the bigger wins we've seen in a while. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I, I think the merger may be more of like a 
Taco Bell KFC brought together or Pizza Hut Taco Bell brought together where they get to keep their name. I like to live PGA. And it's all about the money at the end of the day. I can't believe PGA is deciding to merge instead of just completely buy out and eradicate this thing from the root. That It kind of proves just how far Live Golf has come in its very short time in existence that PGA feels the need to merge versus consume and annihilate. Well, I guess that's the interesting part to me is how much of this is driven by that versus what had been going on in court. Because I think a lot of us kind of, you know, threw up our hands and said, we're not going to read a bunch of prolonged court litigation between these two sides. There's only so much interest that you can get in fans in general about stuff like collective bargaining agreements and all of the minutia. I mean, hell, the other day we were talking about Congress and college football for the umpteenth time and my eyes started to glaze over. So I get it. But publicly, all that we had seen and really heard from Liv, at least to my knowledge, was the TV ratings weren't really doing anything. Liv Golf being put on the CW wasn't really getting the eyeballs that would make them a legitimate contender. You had had the recent success on the uh, on the course, especially in majors, of some of the golfers like Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, obviously going out and winning a major as one of the Liv golfers here, Bryson DeChambeau and some of these other guys having success going back to the Masters. And so you had had a little bit for them of maybe proof of concept that these golfers, most of which had been written off as guys that could no longer play at the top level. For Brooks Kepka, he was the one very publicly. Didn't feel like he was playing at the level that would have him competing with the guys on the PGA Tour. Injuries had damaged him, and so he decided to take the money and go. And then these guys coming back over and having that success, I think, maybe piqued some people's interest about the proof of concept. So much so, Brandon, that we had had Phil Mickelson out here talking cash junk, talking about everything that had been going on with him, uh, including giving shots at Rory McIlroy, talking about the fact that he's almost a billionaire right now. Like Phil Mickelson had gone radio silent for so, so long, and now I think had been felt so emboldened by his recent performance and the recent performance of some of the live golfers relative to guys like Rory McIlroy that had really been the guys taking up their banner and their mantle for the PGA that he had come out of the woodwork. And so I don't know how much of that perception bled into the reality of this for the PGA, Brandon, because in actuality, it seemed far more likely that Live Golf was not going to accomplish the main goal. Because remember, none of this, no matter what Phil Mickelson said, was about Phil Mickelson and Live Golfers changing golf or anything like that. It was a payday from a group of people in the Saudi royal family that are looking to wash their reputation in the rich waters of sports by distracting you from all the human rights violations that have been going on over there. And Brandon, that's another interesting wrinkle to this, right? Where obviously this is very publicly positioned as these guys were taking blood money. They were going over here and operating under the umbrella of something that was created for the express purpose of disguising all of the impermissible things that had been going on over there, right? It's different from when this Saudi fund that has all of this money set aside to try and help sports wash their reputation invests in something like Premier League soccer, invests in something that already exists and just puts a little bit of money in it to be a part of it. This was expressly created to be the distraction from what's going on there and I don't think it worked in large part because Phil Mickelson the very beginning of this very publicly even though he thought it was off the record gave up the goods on what he knew he was walking into and so now how is that structured with the PGA who 
I don't know if they exist all that much in moral opposition to this as much as they did in opposition to what it represented, but that's still a factor that I think has to be accounted for now that you're in theory and in some form, again, when you hear merger going to be in business with this group of people. The morality standpoint is something that I feel like Rory and Tiger Woods stood on and then the PGA was definitely propping them up as the voice boxes of of doing the right thing when it comes to the other golfers and not going over to live and, and cashing out and making a bunch of money and playing golf that nobody was uh, watching. But now it, it feels like it feels like the live was in the right and in, in what they're well, not in the right. Obviously, that's I, way yeah. too far, but they are getting rewarded for something that a lot of people are trying to take the moral high ground on. Well, I think a lot of the golfers, and I can't go back and re-legislate all of their comments, but in general, the theme more felt like these guys were turning their back on the PGA that has all this history and the PGA that's done so much for golf and been this place. And for guys like Rory and Tiger, those are guys that have their identities tied up in the legacy that only the PGA Tour can provide, right? You weren't even getting points in the PGA rankings for what you were doing on Live Golf, let alone what these guys are searching for, which is a place in golf's history. But for the rest of it now, Brandon, to your point it does kind of become more like what we described when you see this Saudi fund investing in things like the Premier League is now it's almost backdoored into well they've just pumped some money into the PGA and it can sort of hide under that banner instead of existing on its own in a way that because of Phil Mickelson is much easier much clearer for everyone to see so we'll keep waiting for more details on this to emerge as to the specifics but again the PGA Tour and Live Golf reportedly set to merge the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, I'm I'm still sitting here absolutely shell-shocked that now we're going to have... Brandon, this almost seems like pro wrestling where you've got two completely like rival factions that are all of a sudden going to wind up in the same place because everyone involved has talked a lot about the other sides involved in this. And it's like anything else, they're golfers. It's not like it's going to end in fisticuffs. I mean, we barely get fights in most of the other sports that are far more physical like baseball. So I don't expect anything to actually come of this for these guys other than maybe they won't be sharing the same private jets to certain tour events. But now you also have the weird elephant in the room for guys like Rory, guys like Tiger, who decided not to leave, not to take the payout and go, who were 
going to be playing on the same tour as guys making nine-figure salaries. I'm looking up and going, all right, well, how are you going to make us whole PGA if now all of a sudden you're going to put this stuff under the same umbrella? I think that, among other things, comes to mind as the chief questions for me is, how is this going to affect the payouts for everybody involved? How is this going to affect the event formats since Live Golf had famously gone away from the four-round model to the three-round model? Fewer events was the idea. They're a more manageable schedule for the golfers on the tour versus the PGA that now, in response to that, had added some events with bigger prize pools, had created events in a system of rewards that required players in the top 100 most popular golfers to be at specific events on on tour and only the ability to miss a couple of them there are a lot more details that have to get hammered out of this thing that have been presented to us right at the start but uh man alive uh golf i will say this brandon this has been the most interesting two-year stretch of golf that we've had since tiger woods stopped dominating at the top of majors so we'll wait for more information on all of that as it comes to us but we are still in the throes of basketball season right now we're going to be coming up on game three of the nba finals soon and so to help us break that down nikias duncan from the dunker spot podcast kind enough to join us on the show now nikias what's going on man hello hello how are you Doing really well. We appreciate you giving us some time, man. Uh, it's been it's been fun to watch you become such a big presence on everybody's timeline during all this because I, I don't know. For me, I feel like I live in this football bubble sometimes where. I see so much football analysis that does dive into the X's and O's. And as I've always gone over to basketball, I've never felt like we've seen as much as is presented now. And I feel like I feel like you're a big part of that. Is that something that you noticed when you were starting to get more and more into this space? It does feel like as frustrated as we can be with like general basketball coverage out there, and that's a conversation for another day, it does feel like more people are digging into the film side of things, the X and O side of things. Um, like I don't, you know, I guess just the way I am, like I don't want to feel like I'm a big part of it. Like I'm just doing whatever my part is. But it has been cool to see that kind of continual growth over the last few years on Twitter. It's definitely been cool, and I will give you the credit. You have been a big part of it on my timeline. It's obviously registered with a lot of people, and I, I, I do want to get your opinion on what's going on in the finals right now because I think we kind of had that come to a head after game two where you heard a frustrated Eric Spolstra use the words untrained eye in a way that made everybody's jaws sort of drop there. Why do you think Spo was so frustrated in that moment about the notion of how they defended Nikola Jokic in game two of that final? game because I think what Spo alluded to I think it was just a general frustration with that talking point like you can't make a great a player as great as Nikola Jokic anything really like all you can do is try to limit options around here or just limit the ways that he can beat you this is at worst like he's a top three player in basketball at absolute worst so there's only so much you can do in general and I also feel like the framing of that felt kind of off based on what we've seen through the first two games I don't think it was Miami trying to make Jokic a score I think it was Miami kind of reorienting what they wanted to take away or just doing a better job of trying to take away some of the off-ball movement that has made Denver so special because with Jokic, he can score any way you want him to. And if you give a cutter or a player spaced on the perimeter, like a peephole of space, he's a good enough passer to hit you. So I think Miami did a much better job of kind of shifting their lineups. They put Kevin Love in the starting lineup. They placed him on Aaron Gordon. That puts Jimmy Butler on Jamal Murray. That's more length on Jamal Murray. And as we know, Jamal Murray is kind of the head. I think that's something that Steve Curley alluded to in his podcast appearance with Draymond Green. Jamal Murray is kind of the head of the snake of Denver's offense with the way he he handles the ball more than Jokic does. So being able to put length on him, bother him, get him out of rhythm, 
we don't see the first half Jamal Murray that we saw in, for, in game one. We see kind of a slower build. You know, you take away Jamal Murray, you limit some of the other off-ball movements, some of the cutting, it just kind of devolves into Jokic has to save these possessions, and he's good enough to do so. He scored 41 in game two. But I don't think it was some shift on what they were doing with Jokic. It felt more like Miami doing a better job on everyone else. That makes sense. So would you have the same sort of dispute maybe with the idea that effort was at the heart of all of this too? We heard that from Michael Malone after the game. He seemed furious. It seemed to have been something that rattled that locker room. This notion that it was a lack of effort for Denver, especially defensively, that undid them in that way. Uh, I feel like it was a little bit of a lack of focus in the first quarter in particular. Like there were some open buckets Miami got from the three-point line with a couple of slips. Um, Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. botching a switch. Uh, there was another one with Gabe Vincent coming off a pick and roll. Max Drew slips to the left corner, gets a three early on. So there were enough miscommunications there early that allowed Miami to get into a rhythm. And ultimately, in game one, Miami didn't knock down shots, but they found pockets against Nikola Jokic when he was in a drop or when he was in a le- when he was at the level of the screen, slipping the ball in Bam out of bio, and he can take short jumpers and make passes from there. They already kind of hit some of the notes they needed to offensively in game one. They just weren't able to make enough shots. In game two, that completely flipped. Uh, shot over 48% from three in that game. But ultimately, it just felt like increased comfort in something that kind of carried over from game one. So I think that may be where the frustration bred from Coach Michael Malone, because I think he also recognized, hey, we won this game one, but Miami found some stuff. We need to make sure that we tighten some stuff up. And it did not feel like they did that. I don't think it was necessarily an effort deal. Um, there were some miscommunications early, but I think it was more so Miami just taking it and taking advantage of the gaps that they had. Now, what about the stuff that Miami found that works? Has anything to do with Kevin Love in the starting lineup for game two? Um, I think Kevin Love does add a spacing element, but I think, what, it was six points in game two? So it wasn't like he was a huge part of it. I do think having him out there, you're able to pull one of the bigger players out uh, from the perimeter in a way that Caleb Martin wasn't, especially since Caleb Martin hasn't played particularly well through the first two games. I think he's still dealing with an illness right now. Um, but I think the biggest shift came for Kevin Love defensively. Again, just having more size for Miami helped on the glass. Getting Jimmy Butler off of Aaron Gordon like he was in game one and putting him on Jamal Murray, I think that altered how Denver wanted to attack and eliminate some of the easy buckets that they wanted to get in the half court. Um, I think you felt, oddly enough, because you think about the reputation Kevin Love's had as a defender in his career, but I do feel like Kevin Love changed the game defensively for Miami more than anything. And he did have the nice possession, I think, third quarter against Michael Porter Jr. He tried to ISO. MPJ just had nothing for him. So that was fun to see. But I think just his presence alone shifted the matchups and ultimately shifted how Denver wanted to attack in game two. You mentioned Jimmy Butler and and his defensive assignment and what he did with Murray. I think in general for Jimmy, it's been a weird uh, sample size in the last really series and now into this one for his impact on the game here. What has been the shift this postseason from the Jimmy that we got early on that was the darling of the postseason that's putting up these monster numbers to now one that still seems impactful but in a really different way? Um, I think it's a shift in mindset for him. I do think you have to give some credit to the personnel as well. Um, I think there were, even against Milwaukee, as great of a defense as they could be when healthy, there were obvious attacks, I mean, obvious gaps to attack in their drop coverage, and Jimmy Butler got comfortable very early, and Milwaukee also had some smaller defenders that he could pick on. Even someone as great as Drew Holiday, there is just a size and strength advantage that Jimmy Butler had. In the Knicks series, you saw similar gaps that he could attack in some matchups to cycle through, but you started to see, okay, these wing defenders, R.J. Barrett, Josh Hart, they may not be as good as Drew Holiday, but they are a little bit bigger. And Mitchell Robinson may not be as good of a defender as Brooke Lopez, 
but he is a little bit more athletic. They play him a little higher up. So some of those gaps start to go away for Jimmy. And then in Boston, you have this wing personnel that they can switch all over the place, bigs that got more comfortable switching against Jimmy. And all of that combined with he's still dealing with an ankle injury. And because he's played well, that kind of goes under the radar, but that is something he's playing through and the postseason going longer for Miami. So naturally, that's just not going to get to 100%. I think all of that kind of factors into Jimmy trying to find other ways to impact the game. And some of that aggression that we saw in the first round against Milwaukee hasn't quite been there. Okay, to go to the low-hanging fruit, because that's the, the juice that, you know, it hits just the right way. Um, Mike had predicted Nuggets in five. I went Heat in seven just because I believe in the unbelievable. Um, did you see anything after watching game two that make you switch how you predicted this series would go? Um, not yet. Uh, full disclosure, I had Denver in seven. Like I could, I understood where like the Denver in four, Denver in five notion came from just because of how dominant Jokic has been, how great Jamal Murray's been. And ultimately, I don't think Miami has a great answer for Nikola Jokic. That's just the nature of being a great player. But with him specifically, the post scoring, the mid range scoring, the three point shooting, the passing, like you literally cannot take all of those things away unless he just gets hurt somehow. Um, so I did kind of feel like, okay, best player kind of wins out. Miami may be able to win on the margins, but I don't know if they have enough to stop him. Um, and through two games, like I don't, I haven't seen anything to kind of shift me from that because as well as Miami played offensively in that game and with all the talk of mate, Jokic a score only four assists, Denver had a higher offensive rating in game two than they did in game one. So it's not like it really worked in that regard either. And as well as Miami played in that game too, Jamal Murray had a chance to tie that game and send it to overtime <laughs> to close out that game too. So Miami is doing, they did what they needed to do in game two. And again, I feel like they had a good process game in game one. So I, I'm still of the mind, this is going to be a long series. I wouldn't be surprised if either one wins it. I think I still lean Denver right now just because they do have the best player in the series. I don't know where Jimmy Butler is health-wise. Like very quietly, it's not like this is 100% healthy bam either. And he is working his tail off on both ends of the floor so far. I just feel like War of Attrition does kind of lean Denver right now. But ultimately, this is a really fun series. I'm glad that we are getting this series. I'm glad that we actually get to talk basketball about this series. I I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think we still have five more games to go. It has been really fun, and I think for all of the people that were going to do the easy thing on the outside and do the ratings talk, and because we almost had Boston and L.A., the basketball's been so good that I think it's largely erased a lot of that, even from people that were coming in kind of disingenuously. You mentioned all the changes that Miami made there. Is there anything that Denver does to adjust with all that stuff you had in mind about how well they actually played? Is there any adjustment for Denver to have going into Game 3 now shifting to Miami? Um, I think the low-hanging fruit for me comes with Denver Stars. I mean, I guess before getting into that, it would just be nice if KCP doesn't foul every three-point shooter in sight. And if Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> doesn't have what I feel like was one of his worst games of the postseason on both ends of the floor. And he's been really good for Denver throughout this season. So it's just kind of – it felt uncharacteristic how poor he was on both ends of the floor in game two. If those two guys plays better, that might be enough of a margin for Denver to win. But with the Stars in particular – I think with Jokic and with Miami playing as much zone as they have in fourth quarters with him on the floor, I think there's room when Denver crosses half court, let Jokic initiate from there. Just let him post up a matchup at the top of the zone, get him into the middle of the zone easier, and you're able to pick that apart. Because Miami did a really good job of staying matched up with him in that fourth quarter in game two when they went zone, and Jokic didn't get those easy catches. He wasn't able to dice him up from there. That's an easy adjustment for Jokic. And with Jamal Murray, with Miami putting Jimmy Butler on him, Miami still does switch one through three on the perimeter. So maybe if they want to get to a Murray-Jokic pick and roll, 
let me get KCP to screen for Jamal Murray first and get a different defender switched on to him and then flow into your pick and roll or your handoff with uh, Jamal, uh, with Nikola Jokic. I think that'll be an easier way to get him going because I think Miami's still going to be willing to just switch those actions early in the clock. That may be a way to kind of regenerate that two-man game because it was less effective than it was in game one. That feels like the easy stuff for Denver. Now, with Mike Malone being so perturbed with everyone talking about the Lakers and LeBron uh, after <laughs> after a game, do you think that he is a little bit uh, even more peed off that we're talking about Kyrie and LeBron possibly linking up during this <laughs> finals run that his team is on? You know what? If he's not, I am. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> Why are we talking about this? The Mavericks do not have anything to trade for LeBron James. And the Lakers, unless they completely gut everything and Kyrie takes less, which it does not seem like he wants to do, there's no way for the sign and trade to work for the Lakers either. I don't even know why this is a thing. LeBron's not coming to Dallas. Kyrie's not going to L.A. without taking less. I don't even get why we're here. I don't know, but I love that we were able to backdoor Nikias into giving an answer about the thing that he didn't want to talk about here and thus still gave us really compelling analysis. Brandon, that was an incredible bit of Miyagiing by you on that one. So, Nikias, since you don't want to talk about that, which we appreciate, but thank you for the answer on that, I do want to ask you about something before we let you go, and this has been awesome, is one of the other things I've seen a lot more from you now and I've seen you talking about a lot more is covering the W. And I know we're, we're still early in the season right now for the W, but just for, for our audience, we know coming into this season, so much was made of the super teams forming in Las Vegas and in New York, some of the stars that had gotten together there. What's excited you most about what you've seen in the early goings in the W season here? Oh, man, if I could borrow from my podcast co-host, Steve Jones Jr., tremendous follow, just a tremendous person overall. Like, I think sorting out what the middle of the league is right now has been incredibly fun. Um, as a friend of mine has poked fun at me at, I was not high on the Connecticut Sun coming into the season because they traded John Quill Jones to the Liberty. I'm just like, okay, they've also made some other moves with the guards, but what is this offense going to look like exactly? The offense has been good. The defense has remained the league. Connecticut has firmly been the second best team in the league so far this year. So that's been a fun story. And just even within the super teams, I think watching both of them sort out what their lineups are going to be, how they want to integrate these new pieces. It hasn't felt like John Quell Jones has really found her footing on either end. She's still on the minute restriction right now. She had off-season uh, surgery. Um, so they're still trying to sort out what to do there. But Brianna Stewart has just been tremendous, as she always is, and should probably be front-runner for MVP right now. Um, and then on the Aces side, have not lost a game yet. I'm keeping an eye on their defense. Um, they have the best defensive rating in the league right now, but based on who they played so far and who those teams have had available because of injuries and things like that, they haven't really faced full punches yet or up until this past weekend where the Atlanta Dream gave them a scare, the Indiana Fever gave them a scare. So just pe just keeping an eye on how well they're gelling defensively and just the general integration of Candace Parker because she hasn't really found her footing yet offensively uh, for the Aces, hasn't closed out many games for them. Um, so it, it's been fun to kind of watch them figure things out on the fly. But the Aces have been really good. The Liberty are interesting. The Sun have been great. I want to see the Sparks just get healthy because I'm having a lot of fun watching them and all of their pieces. Lexi Brown has hopped out to a tremendous start so far. Neko Gumake has been tremendous. It, it's a lot happening in the league right now. It, it's a great time to jump in for people who aren't uh, who aren't initiated with the W yet. So there you go. If you haven't taken the plunge yet, let this be your entry point into it and get going because, uh, like Nikias said, it, it should be a really, really fun season that we're looking forward to. Uh, Nikias, we appreciate the time, man. This is awesome. Hopefully we'll get a chance to chop it up with you again soon. Thank you, sir.
Oh, thank you for having me. Had a blast. Just let me know. Awesome stuff. Again, guys, uh, check out the Dunker Spot podcast with him and Steve Jones, like he mentioned. Awesome stuff there. Brandon, I feel like we got smarter. Now, I do appreciate what you did there because we needed to ask him about Kyrie and LeBron. That was Big J journalism stuff. It's what's in the news right now, but I know this is a guy that really did not want to go there, and you found the way to get him there. That was some wax on, wax on stuff there, so bravo, wax on, wax off stuff right there, so bravo by you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad I got an answer that I wanted to hear as well. The fact that LeBron's not going to Dallas and Kyrie's not going to the Lakers. As much as I would love to see LeBron and Kyrie play together again together because I love nostalgia like anyone else from the 90s, I feel like it's time for that new fruit. LeBron, we keep talking about fruit. Uh, LeBron is all about playing with new people. I think Steph Curry or Luka it will be the next superstars that LeBron plays next to versus going back in history and linking up with Kyrie again. I do think it's interesting. One, if you counted the number of times we all said low-hanging fruit in that conversation and drank, you would be absolutely blacked out right now. And two, the fact that you did manage to work this back into the Lakers loading up with even more pieces. Because I did see that the other day and forgot to text you this notion that now that Bob Myers has stepped down and all these looming decisions for Golden State, we go back to really just everyone LeBron James has ever flirted with at an All-Star game, right? We know Luca this last year he got on the team it was uh the year before I think Steph Curry and him going up and down the court smiling it looked like the beach scene from Rocky with Apollo and Rocky training and splashing around in the water Brandon they never looked happier Mike that all-star game that you're referring to ended with Steph Curry and LeBron James playing defense on Kevin Durant and stopping him from making a shot that that Steph Curry and LeBron ended up winning that game because you know Team LeBron wins every All-Star game other than this last one. But yes, yes, Mike, I, I do think it's important uh, to talk about. But I also want to say that I don't know if it's Kyrie was trying to get LeBron to Dallas as much as he was like, you know, playing chess, not checkers. It's like, oh, well, he can't come here. Well, I still want to play with him. Can I go there? I wouldn't put anything past Kyrie at this point or whoever is not affiliated with Kyrie that did this because I was waiting for and expecting yet another video to come out that none of this came from him and please respect my privacy and all these things that we got before. So we'll wait and see where and how that info came from and we will wait and see what happens in game three now since Nikias actually came on here and tried to make us smarter and we still devolved into talking about the easiest thing possible because by the way, I think you can do both. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. All right, Brandon, before we finish this off with this, that, and the third, three quick stories to end the day. And we got some juice in this week, by the way. We've also got some juice to help you out with Father's Day here because there's nothing juicier than a wonderful, delicious Omaha steak for your dad on Father's Day. Brandon, you're a two-time father and deserving of all of the beef that your children may potentially give you. Now, they're like under three years old, so I don't know if they're going to know how to do this, but for everyone else listening who has opposable thumbs and the ability to use the internet here, you can go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code GOJO. 
to get $30 off at checkout for your qualifying order. I had to stop there because I start drooling every time I do this read because we have got great packages for your dad on Father's Day that include things like fork tender, bacon-wrapped filet mignon, air-chilled chicken grass, woof, air-chilled chicken breast, which is a mouthful to say and an even better mouthful to eat, as well as burgers, jumbo franks, caramel apple tartlets for dessert. It's all delicious, and it's part of the great gift packages that Omaha Steaks has ready to go for you. You don't have to do any of the hard work. They have done it for you in order to give your dad the best Father's Day possible. You can check out all of those hand-selected packages. Get ready in time for Dad's Day because dads want steak. It is that simple. Get them something to eat. So whether he's your your father, your father-in-law, or father figure. He's the guy who is always ready to step up when you needed him the most. This Father's Day, show him the love with the only gift that's as unforgettable as he is, the mouthwatering perfection of Omaha Steaks. From perfectly aged, oh-so-tender steaks to hand-selected gift packages, Omaha Steaks makes it easy to give dad what he really wants. Order today and get $30 off with promo code GOJO. Again, $30 off with promo code GOJO, and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money-back guarantee. Minimum order may be required. See site for details. Now that we are hungry... Let's break bread and eat, Brandon. This, that, and the third. Uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. We see them. We appreciate them. We are getting closer to the thousand mark that I have in my head that signals success in our war against the algorithm, and we appreciate you for feeding my vanity and letting us know what more you want to see and hear from this fine program. Brandon, let's get to this. The matchup is set right now. College softball is one of the most exciting television products out there. We've seen it gain more and more popularity in the last few years. And now we got the championship matchup set. Florida State and Oklahoma, a rematch of the 2021 uh, championship that Oklahoma won in that series, gets started on Wednesday. Oklahoma increased its D1 record 51 consecutive wins in their lead-up to this one. Uh, They're now looking to become the first program since UCLA back from 88 to 90 to win three consecutive titles going up against a Florida State team that toppled Tennessee in the semifinal round here. So very exciting stuff, Brandon. Obviously, uh, this going all down in Oklahoma. But again, college softball is a ratings bonanza. It fits into a great window. It's fast-paced. It's exciting. And this Oklahoma team is a dynasty, and we've talked about this a lot Dynasties in sports do help. I really think having a team that you can point to as the standard bearer and the Goliath that needs to be slain by a David at some point is always really helpful. And boy, oh boy, does softball have it in Oklahoma. Yeah, also, I like the validity of winning through extra innings that they had to do against Stanford. It's like a a championship dynasty going into overtime. It's like, okay, this isn't just a, a fluke. They really have championship pedigree and they built different. They are built different, Uh, and so we'll have them squaring off against the Florida State team that was a two-seed last year and lost in the regionals and now makes it all the way back to the championship game. Congrats to everybody involved. Looking forward to that getting started uh, tomorrow. Brandon, let's get to that. Tech news, did you see the Apple product launch that went on yesterday? Apple did one of their big keynotes where Steve Jobs used to get out there and wag his hand at everybody and tell us what new charger they were going to give that made our old chargers obsolete so we'd have to spend more money. Those godless heathens. But um, Brandon, yesterday, uh, the big ticket item was Vision Pro, the new VR headset that Apple's coming out that's $3,500. That seems like way too much, even for me that loves buying stupid toys. But by 
all accounts does seem like a game changer, essentially puts you inside your computer in a way that with all the recent AI conversations, Brandon, I'm not sure I actually want to be at that point. What was the most interesting part of that keynote for you yesterday? Uh, interesting. Does that equal disturbing? Uh, because yeah. they have a new feature uh, with this Apple VR headset that your base, your retinas do something before you click on something because you expect something to happen when you click on it. So they have this like pre-click thing going on that like you just look at something and it opens. And I'm sure that's like common with some VR sets. But until they get to the point where I text people back mentally, that's the only that's the real feature that I need. I need to, I need to text someone back, email back someone back mentally, and then send a draft out that I can edit later. I think Elon Musk has what you're looking for, and that brain implant ain't going anywhere near me, fella. <laughs> I will say, the things that stuck out to me, because the $3,500 headset's not going to be for everyone, everyone's now got FaceTime voicemails, which is going to bring on an era of the worst drunk dials known to man. Now, before what reduced you to ashes and sending weird drunk texts to somebody that you probably had under a name like do not call ever in your phone is going to end with visual evidence for the rest of time. And Brandon, I saw Roy Wood Jr., our buddy, point this out, that now you can personalize your contact poster that's going to show up when you call or message somebody, which means that the side pieces have now gotten the power back and Valentine's Day is going to be a war zone next year <laughs> put your phones away fellas if you've been doing nefarious things put your phones away but i do like this mike i do think it's a change for the facetime people to leave a voice message it's kind of like when screenshot it screenshotting started changed the game for everyone like screenshots like pre pretty much ruined the game for a lot of cheaters so i guess apple is kind of flipping the script that is true. You know what? Maybe this is good. This is like the transfer portal in NIL and college football where everyone's going to talk about it as a problem, but really it's forcing coaches to keep their problems and its promises and it's forcing everyone to act right in their personal lives here. So uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Rest in peace to the screen cap of your failed FaceTime call that you send your friend who doesn't pick up after you've had four or five margaritas on a taco Tuesday. Um, Brandon, let's get to the third though. This is big news for me. So Taylor Swift, who is clearly on tour now because normally an announcement of this magnitude would be done via anagram, some sort of weird crossword puzzle that we had to figure out to get to the song titles, and instead was just given to us. Taylor Swift is re-releasing her album Speak Now coming up this summer, and yesterday gave us the full list of tracks, including the vault tracks, previously unreleased songs that Taylor is putting out this time around. These songs include... Uh, Speak Now era are When Emma Falls in Love, I Can See You, Foolish One, Timeless, and most importantly yesterday, Electric Touch, which will feature Fallout Boy, and the song Castles Crumbling, which will feature Paramore's Haley Williams. And Brandon, I might pass out. I don't know if you've seen the love that Haley Williams has been getting online recently. Paramore was obviously much more popular as we were coming up, but she is the universal solvent for belovedness by basically every demographic and group of people now joining up with Taylor Swift on an actual track is going to be the nourishment that fuels my soul for the rest of this summer. I am so excited. Mike, I'm excited to hear that this is an old new album from Taylor. 
I thought it was a brand new. I don't know when Speak New came, Speak Now came out. I have no idea. And also Paramore, I was listening to uh, what is it, uh, Monsters and Men when Paramore Paramore was popular. So I have no idea about them either. And all of it's going to be new to me, Mike. I, I really don't know what to do with all these new old Taylor Swift albums. But I, I follow your guidance, and you seem to be excited. So I will let you be excited. Yeah, you know what? I guess for anyone that's unaware right now, right? Taylor's old masters to her albums that had been previously recorded were sold in a way that she found unbecoming to a man named Scooter Braun. And so to take back what she thought was hers, she went and re-recorded all of these tracks as in the process of doing that right now. Speak Now is the latest album to do that. She did just do this most recently with her album Red. That was incredibly impactful and important. There have been new albums like Midnight's along the way, but this is yet another of the re-records to take back what she believes is her and sprinkle in a new bit of the good stuff. By the way, she also news dumped a little bit through TMZ that her and Maddie Healy broke up, which is music to the ears of so many Taylor Swift fans. Lots happening, tons going on, all of it very good right now for those of us in the Taylor Swift fan group. We hope that anyone in the Gojo fan group enjoyed the podcast today. As always, if you did, download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us that five-star rating, check us out on YouTube, DraftKingsNetwork.com. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Go, go. Boom, money in the bank.